haven't used that for a few weeks. Um, okay, just let me know when, when I can uh, have that, okay? So as you're turning to Genesis chapter 5, um, children's ministry, we do have a, a link on our Facebook page for that. I, I'm not sure if it got posted this morning but if you just scroll down to last week's, that link to the Google Drive is the same. It's where we've been storing all of the children's ministry uh, resources. So we have a teaching video there and the uh, pages for um, activities at home with your children. And so all of them are there from the previous weeks up to today. So uh, hopefully that will be helpful to you. Thank you. There we go. And then also, uh, just to encourage you, you know, Pastor Mitch and I have been doing devotionals um, every morning, uh, doing our best to get them up there by about 9 a.m. Some days life gets in the way. It doesn't quite make it by, t by 9, but uh, hopefully you're enjoying those. We're getting a lot of uh, warm and positive feedback on those, so thank you. And if you need a little daily encouragement, just go there sometime during the day uh, after 9 a.m., and you'll see those uh, 10 minute or so uh, videos where we're just going through the Gospel of Luke devotionally and just looking for what the Lord has for us there. So just to encourage you with that. Genesis chapter 5, one of the most uh, interesting portions of Scripture, as you'll see this morning. And uh, of all things, it's actually a genealogy, something that we often don't like to read. And we read kind of thinking, well, this is interesting, but what does this mean to me? And this morning, we hope to uh, bring some life to a genealogy as we read it together. So Genesis chapter 5, let me read through about uh, half of it here, down to verse uh, 14 or so. There's 32 verses, so uh, there's plenty to read here, but uh, just follow along with me if you will. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam, in the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. After he begot Seth, the days of Adam were 800 years and he begot sons and daughters so all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Seth lived 105 years and begot Enosh. After he begot Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and begot sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Enosh lived 90 years and begot Canaan. After he begot Canaan, Enosh lived 815 years and begot sons and daughters. So all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. Canaan lived 70 years and begot Mahaliel. After he begot Mahaliel, uh, Canaan lived 840 years and begot sons and daughters. So all the days of Canaan were 910 years, and he died. Mahaliel lived 65 years, and he begot Jared. And after he begot Jared, Mahalaleel lived 830 years and begot sons and daughters. So all the days of Mahalaleel were 895 years and he died. Jared lived 162 years and begot Enoch. And after he begot Enoch, Jared lived 800 years 
and begot sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and begot sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So we'll stop there this morning. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this incredible portion of scripture. Open it up to us this morning, Lord, that we may understand and see the amazing things that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as we look into this amazing genealogy this morning, a few things to point out to you about uh, genealogies in general, and especially the genealogies found in the book of Genesis. The genealogies uh, may not seem important to us as we read them in the Old Testament, but once we get to the New Testament, and then you read particularly the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, you'll see there that the genealogy of Jesus Christ is traced all the way back in one situation to Adam and in another situation to Abraham. And both of those genealogies prove the authenticity of the birth of Jesus and that he fulfilled the requirements for being the Messiah. So the documenting of the genealogies is a way of ensuring the authenticity of who the Messiah would be. And in the book of Genesis, there are actually 10 genealogies of 10 generations each. And this is the first, of, uh, the first book of the genealogies contained in the book of Genesis of the first 10 generations from Adam down to Noah. And so what we're going to look at this morning is the significance of this first generation that's documented for us by the Lord in the book of Genesis and we'll discover a little bit about what it means for us as we go along this morning. So it begins in verse one by saying, this is the book of the genealogy of Adam in the day that God created man. He made him in the likeness of God. So right now he's kind of hearkening back to the end of chapter one. So one thing to know about Hebrew literature and the book of Genesis in particular is that it's not always given chronologically and sometimes um, as we're, we're teaching through, it goes back and it does review of things that were covered previously. So right now we're sort of jumping back to the end of chapter one as we are reading these first two verses here of chapter five. And verse two says, he, that is God, created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. So part of this genealogy here is really documenting sort of the lives of four key significant people, and we'll touch upon them as we go through this morning. The uh, retrospect here, as we come to the first person who was Seth, uh, reminded the descendants of Seth that the fall had not obliterated the image of God in them. And because they were image bearers, they had unparalleled privilege and potential. First, as image bearers, they had the capacity to hear God's word, which is something no other creature except angels could do. Second, as image bearers, they were charged to rule the earth in God's stead. And third, uh, the image of God in them suggested the possibility 
of an intimate spiritual relationship as children of God. So in these first two verses here, we are reminded that all of the descendants of Adam, and in particular us, we are all created in the image of God. And it says in verse 2 that uh, he called them mankind. You know, previously it said he called them man, then man and woman, and now he calls us mankind, just taking into account all of the people who ever have been and ever will live. And I think that this also points to the fact that even though we go through birth, we go through natural birth, that we are still created in the image of God. And why do we say that? Because Psalm 139 points to the fact that each one of us, as we are going through the, the conceiving and the birthing process, we are being formed in our mother's womb by the hand of God. And so this is why, you know, just to briefly touch upon the issue of abortion, that it's so wrong and so heinous because that, that person, that life inside the mother's womb from the very second of conception is a human being who is being fashioned and created into God's image. So for anyone to remotely suggest that we as, as humanity have the right to play God and to make decisions about the life of that child that's in the womb has literally taken the role of God and has taken the issue of life out of the hands of God and put it squarely into their own hands. And that is a, a horrible thing. It is a violent crime. We, of course, won't talk about that. Those of you who are educated in that and follow what's going on in our news and in society know that this is a, a thing that is just a blight upon our society. And we need to continue to pray that God would roll back the tide and turn back Roe versus Wade, a heinous thing done in 1973. And since then, countless millions of people have been murdered in the name of choice. As we continue looking at verse 3, it says, And Adam lived 130 years, and he begot a son in his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. So previously, as we looked at chapter 4 last week, and we considered what happened with Cain and Abel and with that bloodline, we see here that as we jump to the, the genealogy of Genesis 5 and we look at the bloodline of Adam as it's laid out for us, we kind of jump over what happened previously in chapter 4 because that was a rough start, wasn't it? Abel was born and he was a man after God's heart. He was a man who worshiped God. We looked at that last week. And his brother Cain was an angry and a jealous person. And he uh, took out his anger on his brother. Uh, we know that Cain was ultimately angry at God, uh, that God accepted his brother's offering and not his. And again, we covered that last week. And so what happened in chapter 4 and even the genealogy of Cain, as we consider that in the second half of the chapter, pointed to the fact that God really didn't regard, he didn't honor that bloodline, that genealogy. So here in chapter five, we have the bloodlines going from Adam down to Seth. So really Seth was the third child. We have a chart we'll show you in a bit uh, just to go through some of this this morning. There's only three slides, but one of them will, will point to the fact of how the genealogy happened and why it's significant for us to consider. So we'll look at that in a few minutes. 
So after he begot Seth, verse 4, the days of Adam were 800 years, and he had sons and daughters. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Now, something significant for us to consider this morning, and we'll, we'll kind of wrap this up and put a bow on it at the end, is the meaning of the names of these 10 people. And so, we'll, uh, again, we'll come back to that, but the meaning of the name Adam in its literal form means red, but the, the Hebrew word Adoma means man, and it refers to the same 17 elements that make up our body chemistry are the same 17 elements that are found in the dust of the ground. And that points back to the fact that God himself created and formed Adam, the first man, from the dust of the ground. So moving along, when we come to Seth, Seth lived 105 years and begot Enosh. After he begot Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Now the name Seth means appointed. And then in Genesis 4.25, if you want to turn back to the end of that chapter, it says, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. And then it says in quotations, For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. So just pointing to the fact that Seth's name means appointed. And as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and it says, Genesis 4.26, and that Seth named his son Enosh, then men began to call on the name of the Lord, the last verse of chapter 4. So what we see is a Uh, an environment that's been laid out as we come into chapter 5 and we consider the genealogy of Adam. God began to to turn things just a little bit with the bloodline of Seth, and we are told that men began to call on the name of the Lord, and we're not sure if this is saying here that it's simply coincident with um, Seth's being born or if it was due to Seth's life and his influence. Either way, it says at that point in time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. Now, going back to Abel and Cain, they went to worship God. They went to call upon the name of the Lord. But in that case of the two brothers, one brother went with the proper motive to worship the Lord, and the other brother went with an improper or an impure motive to worship God in his own way as he saw fit, rather than worshiping God as God had outlined that he should be worshiped. So in verse 26 of chapter 4, then men began to call on the name of the Lord. This is referring to the fact that now something positive, something right is happening. People are beginning to gather in the name of the Lord. They are beginning to worship the Lord. They are beginning to pray. There is something of what we could probably describe as revival or awakening taking place. And people are beginning for the first documented time in history to give glory to God. And so that's why the bloodline goes through Seth. So as we continue on in verse 9, Enosh lived 90 years and begot Canaan. And after he begot Canaan, Enosh lived 815 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enosh were 905 years and he died. The word Enosh uh, can mean mortal 
or frail or even miserable. It is from a root word that means to be incurable. It's used of a wound, grief, woe, sickness, or even wickedness. So another way to say this here is that uh, the word enosh could mean, when it speaks of mortal, it could also refer to the fact of being subjected to death. And so we have this reminder here as we go through these mentions of these names and these lives, as it says, and he died so many times here, it's reminding us of the fact that it was never intended to be this way. Remember when God created Adam, he created Adam and, and subsequently Eve to walk with him in the cool of the day, to fellowship with him. And prior to sin entering the world and the fall of man in Genesis chapter 2, we find no indication that life would have ever ended for mankind. And we're seeing here, as we look through this genealogy in chapter 5, uh, the lifespan of these people, uh, 700, 800, 900 years. People not having children till they're 90 and 100 and 120, 130 years old. Uh, we think of that as preposterous today as we think about that because most of us, according to statistics, don't make it past about 80. A few might make it longer. Uh, many go shorter in terms of their age. Uh, Moses even wrote in Psalm 90, uh, as we live and live our lives before God, we have 70 years or if due to strength, 80. And then he talks about, let us learn to number our days and to present a heart of wisdom to God. And so by the time we get not too far down the bloodline of mankind, we'll find that these years are severely shortened uh, but right now we're finding out that uh, these, these lives, these years are, are very long spans. And I think it can be easily said without stretching the scriptures at all, that the effect of sin upon mankind is essentially to shorten life. Think about people that you and I have known who live just a wayward, sinful lifestyle. And many have died way too young. They've died horrible deaths through things like lung cancer from smoking or cirrhosis of the liver through drinking and partying. And God has intended that we take the life that we have that he has given to us and that we honor him and that we worship him and that we give him thanks and that we understand that everything in our lives comes from his hand, even our very breath comes from the hand of God. So as we continue with these people, in Genesis 5.12, Canaan lived 70 years and begot, let me, been mispronouncing this word so far all morning, Mahalalel, uh, and he begot Mahalalel uh, after he begot him. Canaan lived 840 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Canaan were 910 years and he died. Now notice in almost all of these, it says somewhere in the paragraph as we go through each person's life, uh, and he had sons and daughters. And so we're not told how many sons and daughters each one had, but what we're told is sort of at the top of each individual's chain or bloodline, who was sort of the father of that lineage of people. This is going to be significant for us 
now, but it'll also be significant for us as we go through the population of the earth. And so with the chart I'll show you in a few moments, you'll begin to see how the generations of each of these people God used to populate the earth. And so although uh, sin has now entered the world and has begun to pollute the bloodlines, um, initially, uh, very early, we find that God had not yet uh, prohibited people from intermarrying with other members of their family. And so as we consider early on, like especially with Cain and, and the immediate descendants there and Seth, that they were taking members of their family, their sisters and brothers, in marriage. But it wasn't until much later when the bloodline became severely polluted and the further away we go from Adam, the, the worse that pollution becomes and the genetic code starts to get disrupted that God himself finally said through the law and prohibiting the intermarrying of people within your family. So that's just sort of a brief and a high level overview of you know, where did you know, certain people get their wives or their husbands early on in life and it was from within their own bloodlines. So the name um, Canaan here, it could also be translated Kenan, K-E-N-A-N, uh, just due to the English transliteration of the Hebrew word. It can mean sorrow or dirge or elegy. And the precise donation can, uh, denotation can somewhat be elusive from the original Hebrew, but most scholars believe sorrow or dirge uh, would be the proper way to render the meaning of Canaan's name. And then in verse 15, Mahalalel lived 65 years and begot Jared. And after he begot Jared, Mahalalel lived 830 years and he had sons and daughters. So all of the days of Mahalalel were 895 years and he died. And his name means blessed or praise. The L in his name means is the name for God. And so uh, the full meaning of his name would be the blessed God. In verse 18, Jared lived 162 years and begot Enoch. And after he begot Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. So the name Jared comes from a verb meaning shall come down. So this is sort of the idea of being sent down from heaven. In verse 21, Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. And after he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. So the name Enoch has a very interesting meaning. It means teaching or dedicated. So that'll become important to us in a few moments. Now, the name Enoch, we know, is mentioned elsewhere in the scriptures. He's one of these people who was spoken of to us as being significant from the bloodline of Adam. So in the book of Jude, we find these words written about Enoch. We have somewhat of a commentary given on his life because the only thing we have about Enoch is what's written right here in Genesis, except for a reference in Jude and a reference in the book of Hebrews. Here's what it says in Jude chapter 1, verse 14. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, 
talking about false prophets and false teachers, saying, behold, the Lord comes with 10,000s of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly, um, among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him, capital H, meaning the Lord Jesus Christ. So now Enoch we find from Jude giving us some understanding, some insight to Enoch's life. He's saying that Enoch was a teacher, that Enoch was a prophet, thus the meaning of his name. And it says he, he told people his message was, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. So isn't it interesting that Enoch, as the seventh from Adam, so early on, is now picking up that issue of what we found in Genesis 2, where it talked about how the Messiah, the seed of the woman, uh, would come, and that he would put his, his heel on the head of the serpent, Satan, and crush him. And now we have Enoch here picking up that idea, behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all. So this is clearly referring to what we would call the second coming of Christ, to convict all who were ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds. So this would be the great white throne judgment, which happens after the second coming. Um, of their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So Enoch's teaching, Enoch's message was prophetic, thinking about this again, the seventh from the bloodline of Adam, prophesying and teaching about something that would happen toward the end of the book of Revelation. So Enoch was a teacher, Enoch was a prophet, And he had this unique role in creation history to be a preacher of righteousness all the way back at the beginning of time. So Enoch did this amazing thing. Now, someone pointed out to me last week, and just a reminder, there were actually two Enochs. Um, If you go back to chapter 4, verse 17 and 18, in the bloodline of Cain, there was a man, verse 18, to Enoch was born Erad, and uh, Enoch in verse 17 was born to Cain. So there was an Enoch there, not to be confused, with this Enoch, who uh, came from the bloodline of Seth. This Enoch was a righteous man, the previous Enoch, probably not so much considering the bloodline that he came from. And so we find, as we consider the life of Enoch, there's another commentary on his life found in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5. And it reads as follows. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found. Now, Genesis 5.24 says, And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So what is this talking about here as we read in Hebrews 11.5? That he did not see death and he was not found because God had taken him, quoting Genesis 5.24. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. 
So we want to just consider for a few moments the life of Enoch. This man mentioned as the seventh from Adam in the lineage of Seth. And we are told that he had this unique and amazing ministry, that he was a prophetic person, that he was a person who taught the word of God. And keeping in mind that we probably had no written word of God at that point, that it was just the Holy Spirit speaking to and through this man Enoch. And so this man Enoch had faith. I think it's easy to see that, it's easy to say that, because he was a preacher and a teacher. So one thing we can learn from the life of Enoch by what it said here in Hebrews 11:5, for before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. So Enoch had within his heart the desire to be pleasing to God, to live a life that bore fruit unto the Lord and that was a life of action, that was a life of dedication, giving himself to the Lord. There is a story of St. Francis as he was talking to one of his young apprentices. And he said, let's go down to the town to preach one day. The novice delighted at being singled out by St. Francis and uh, joined him as a companion and quickly obeyed and then they began to walk. They passed through the principal streets, turned down many of the byways and the alleys They made their way out to some of the suburbs and at length returned by a winding route up to the monastery gate. As they approached the gate, the younger man reminded Francis of his original intention. You have forgotten, Father, he said, that we went down to the town to preach. Francis said to him, we have preached. We were preaching while we were walking. We have been seen by many. Our behavior has been closely watched. It was thus that we preached our morning sermon. It is of no use, my son, to walk anywhere to preach unless we preach everywhere as we walk. In other words, our lives, every minute of every day, as we live and walk, preaches something. We're told that Enoch was pleasing to the Lord. We're also told that the Lord was so pleased with Enoch that he was taken to heaven, that God took him. It said he walked with God and he was not. This refers to being translated or carried across a threshold and that God simply took him. Enoch did not see death. Abel, we know, had a violent death, but Abel never died. God has a different plan for each one of us as we trust him. Some see in this translation of Enoch a picture of the rapture of the church when Jesus Christ returns. Now there are many who believe that because Enoch and also later Elijah, who was taken in a very similar way, you may know the story of Elijah, that he was with his servant Elisha one day and that Elijah was taken up by a chariot of fire and a whirlwind, he was taken up into heaven. His was a bit more dramatic than Enoch's. But both of these men were taken by God into heaven and they never saw death. And for that reason, there are many, and we did discuss this back in the book of Revelation, who believe that Enoch 
and Elijah will likely be the two witnesses found in the book of Revelation. And there are, of course, many who believe that it would be Moses and Elijah because of the law and the prophets. And there's a healthy argument and debate on both sides, but keep in mind that Enoch and Elijah were the two men whom God took into heaven. Or if we wanted to use the term, these two men were raptured. And they were raptured because they pleased God because they walked with God. And so it's an amazing thing that these men, especially Enoch as we're considering him here, that he walked with God. And so something to consider for us this morning as we think about this issue of what it means to walk with God is simply to ask ourselves the question, how is my walk? How is your walk? The scriptures speak of the walk of the Christian. The word walk simply means the manner of life, the way in which we conduct our lives. How do we live? How do we conduct ourselves? And thus that little story about St. Francis with his disciple or apprentice is meant to show us that our need to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Colossians 3 says, when Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That's referring to the fact of being translated or taken up to be with Christ. In 1 Thessalonians 3, it says, so that he may establish your hearts blameless and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of his saints remembering that one day we will see the Lord. And the the preaching of Enoch, as we are told in the book of Jude, reminds us of the fact that we need to keep our walk proper and honorable and right and pure before the Lord. It says in 1 Corinthians 6, Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? Reminding us that God will put us in places of honor and authority later in heaven as we go to be with him. And it says there in the passage on Jude, Jude 14 and 15, it said three times, all, 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 and ungodly, ungodly, ungodly. Let me read it to you again, Jude 1, 15 to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly, among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. You know, one of the things that we so often neglect when we talk about the good news of the gospel is that the good news comes in light of the fact that there is judgment, there will be judgment. You see, the good news is the, the, the deliverance by the love of God, by the grace of God, by the mercy of God from that judgment. If we believe in his prescribed provision, which is his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so all will be judged. All those who are ungodly will be judged. But the good news comes in that God has given us a provision And if we will believe and accept that provision, and here's the point, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
You have to accept Jesus as the only way to God the Father. Contrary to what many people say, there are many paths, many roads. In fact, many will say all roads lead to God. The only sense in which that is true is that it will, all roads do lead to the judgment throne of God, but not all roads lead to the grace of God. Only one road leads to the grace of God, and it's the road that goes through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. This idea of walking with God was not talking about a casual stroll. It was talking about being in agreement with God. It was talking about being in surrender to God. Amos 3.3 says, can two walk together unless they are agreed? You see, the idea of us walking with God means that we agree with God about everything. Let me just ask you this question this morning as we consider our walk before him this morning. Are you agreed with God? Are you in agreement that everything that God has said in his word is right and true, even the things that we don't understand, even the things that we may have a little bit of a hard time accepting? And I submit to you that that's because of us reading it through our modern day mentality and our filters without understanding that God is always right. And Paul wrote in Romans, I believe it's in chapter three or four, where it says, let God be true and every man a liar. You see, we agree with God. And then things are made right. This phrase walked with God is, is uh, only applied to Enoch and Noah here in the book of Genesis. We'll get to Noah next, over the next two weeks. And describes the closest personal communion with God as if walking at the very side of God. It must be distinguished from other Old Testament phrases such as walking before God and walking after God, which describe blameless moral and ethical conduct. Walking with God is far more intimate. The minor prophets use this phrase, in fact, to describe the intimate walk of priests who entered the Holy of Holies to speak directly with God. The phrase also indicates the deepest obedience for the metaphor of walking suggests along God's path in the same direction as the direction that God is going. Alan Ross says the expression became a common description of the life of fellowship and obedience together with the Lord as if to say that walking with the Lord was a step above mere living. Walking with God is so important, it's so significant to us. The scriptures say in so many places, especially in the New Testament, things like we should walk in newness of life. We should walk according to the Spirit. We walk properly, uh, as in the day, as in the light. Uh, we walk by faith, not by sight. Uh, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in those good works. Ephesians 4, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. Ephesians 5, walk as children of light, walk circumspectly, meaning carefully. Um, walk in him, 
meaning to walk in faith, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Walk in such a way that we are pleasing God, 1 Thessalonians 4. So this manner, this issue of walking with God, something that was important to Enoch, so important that God deemed him worthy and took him so that he did not have to see life excuse me, see death. Continuing on in Genesis 5.25, Methuselah. Methuselah lived 187 years and begot Lamech. After he begot Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. Now, interestingly, the name Methuselah means, it's a compound word that means death and to bring or to send forth. So when you put that together, it could mean his death shall bring. And then we uh, read about Lamech in verse 28. Lamech lived 182 years and had a son. And the name Lamech, as you might think, uh, means lament or lamentation or despairing. And in verse 29, it says, And he, this is Lamech, called his name, the name of his son, Noah, saying, This one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. After he begot Noah, Lamech lived 595 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. And Noah was 500 years old, and Noah begot Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the name Noah means to bring relief, comfort, or rest. So it's interesting in verse 29, there is really a prophecy given over Noah or for Noah's life saying, this one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands. So that Noah himself, now we know the scriptures later say of Noah that he was a preacher of righteousness. And so we'll, again, we'll get into Noah the next two weeks. I don't wanna steal the thunder from that. But these 10 names that are given to us here in this first table of genealogy, uh, what does this mean? So now I'm gonna switch over to the PowerPoint for just a moment to uh, give us sort of an understanding here of what's happening. And again, I know that uh, you can't fully see this as a bit of an eye chart, but what it shows along the top there is the lineage from God to, to mankind or Adam, and then it goes down through the bloodlines. And I'll be posting this up on the uh, Dropbox so that you can take a look at this if you like. But then you can see the bloodline going all the way down to um, where Noah is. And then you begin to see uh, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And that's where the first line drops down. And you see how the tree sort of branches out. And this will mean more to you when you can take a look at it on your own. But this begins to show us how the earth was populated. And it gives us some of the regions that these people settled um, as they then went out. Um, and developed and, and built their own lives. So rather than labor on this slide, we're gonna go ahead to the next one. 
and look at the names that we had just talked about. And here are the names with all of the meanings that we looked at earlier. So uh, we want to take a look now at these names, Adam, Seth, Enosh, Canaan, Mahaliel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and Noah. If you put them together, here's what it reads. Man is appointed mortal sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down teaching his death, shall bring the despairing comfort and rest. Let me read that again. Man is appointed mortal sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down teaching his death, shall bring the despairing comfort and rest. This is the gospel hidden in Genesis. Isn't that amazing? And this is just the names of the people. As you lay them out, it preaches the gospel. Coming from the beginning of man, the first man, Adam, as sin entered the world, mortal sorrow, meaning death, has entered the world. Through the one man, Adam, sin has entered the world. But the blessed God, God himself, God's the initiator, man's the responder, shall come down, meaning he shall send his one and only son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what did Jesus do during his life, during his teaching ministry? He taught about who God was. He modeled who God was. And at the end of his life, didn't his life result in a death? And wasn't his death innocent and horrendous and painful? And don't we know from the gospels, from the life of Christ, that God poured out his wrath on his son and as it says in Genesis, uh, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And his death shall bring the despairing, that is the hopeless, that is those who lament, comfort and rest. And isn't that what Jesus did when he prophesied on Uh, The day that he opened his ministry as he went into the temple or the tabernacle and he took the scriptures and he read, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he's anointed me to come and to preach the good news and to take the the sins and the woes and the, the pains of people upon myself. And here it is in Genesis, as we take the names of this first table of genealogy, these 10 men, and just take the the meaning of their names and string it together, we have the gospel in Genesis. How amazing is that? Hidden in plain sight, Genesis chapter five, the gospel. And I'd like to point out also, we talked earlier in chapter two about that prophecy of the Messiah. So already from the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 2 and in Genesis chapter 5, we find the gospel being pushed forth, being shouted forth, although this is more uh, obscured, but it's there. And then in chapter 4, we also saw as we looked at Cain and Abel, Abel came and brought an acceptable sacrifice to God. Remember earlier God when he came to Adam and Eve uh, in, in discovering their sin? What did God do? He killed an animal, an animal sacrifice, substitutionary atonement, that picture right there in the beginning of Genesis. 
as he took the life of an innocent animal to cover their sin with the skins of an animal. You see, God is already from the beginning preaching the gospel. We're only into chapter five when we've already seen it like four times. And this is the grace of God for us, the gospel in Genesis. We're going to see it more. As we go through the lives of these other people, we're going to see a picture of this in the story of Noah, as we see how God, through Noah, preached for something like a hundred years before God brought his judgment and wiped out the earth. And he made the ark an archetype of salvation that all who would enter in, and Noah said, hey, if you want to come and join us in the ark, you'll be spared. And they mocked him. But if they would have entered the ark, they would have entered into salvation. And they would have been spared and been with Noah and his family. You see the pictures, the types, the symbols are there. and We don't have to reach. They're everywhere. It's in the life of Joseph. It's in the life of uh, Rebecca and Isaac. It's all over the place. And these things are going to be pointed out over and over and over as we go through them. But today, don't miss this. The gospel in Genesis, looking at the meaning of the names. You see, genealogies do matter. The meaning of names matter. And God can often use the meaning of names to bring to us a fulfillment, a prophetic significance. And even if your name means something kind of crazy or bizarre, you know what? The scriptures say that in, in the day that we, we go to meet the Lord, we, we studied all this in, in the book of uh, Revelation, it says that God will give us a new name, doesn't it? And so God wants to use us. Our name matters. But what's more important is what God says about us. You see, regardless of the meaning of your name, what does God have to say about the life of a human being? that your life matters, your life matters to God, even if you're feeling trivial or insignificant. God will take a life, a life that is yielded to him, someone who will walk along with him, who will walk in agreement with God, and God will take that person's life and use it for his glory. You see, who you are and whose bloodline you came from is not something that will hold you back. The only thing that will hold you back is for, for you and I is our unwillingness to walk with God. And so I think the word of the Lord today to us as a church and to all who are listening is the Gospels in Genesis, have you believed it and will you walk with God? Now, we've talked about the gospel as we've gone through this morning. If you've never believed or trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, today is your day of salvation. Today is the moment when you can agree with God concerning your life and the direction of your life, your need for a Savior, <clears throat> and your need to turn your heart and your life over to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you will do that, you will enter into life you will enter into agreement with God and God will put his hand upon your life and he will use your life for his glory 
and for our good and for the good of others. The question is, will we yield to him? Will God use our life like Noah's name to bring relief and comfort to others? You see, God can do anything. Nothing is too great for him. Nothing is impossible for God. None of us knows what a day will bring. Yesterday we got up, it's May 9th, and it snowed. The end of the day, the sun came out. And that alone testifies to the fact that God is in control of everything and he can do whatever he wants. And I don't know about you, but I want my life to be in the hands of God and on the side of God. And so this morning, let's respond to the gospel. And if you've already believed, praise the Lord. And if you have already trusted in him, that's awesome. But are you walking with him? You see, that's what he wants. He wants you to walk with him. Lord, thank you this morning for your love, for your grace, for your mercy. Thank you for putting your hand on our lives. And God, we turn our hearts to you this morning. We trust in you. We worship you. And Lord, perhaps we've tried and struggled with that issue of walking with you and being in agreement with you and allowing you to have control and reign and rule over our lives. And Lord, we understand, we confess this morning that it's really more than anything a, an act of faith and a matter of the will to turn our lives over to you and to say, Lord, I want to walk with you. I want to experience the blessing of God in my life. So Lord, would you do that this morning in my life and the lives of everyone listening this morning? Lord, may we walk with you. May we be close to you. And may our lives reflect the glory of God. God, make us like Enoch. Make us like Noah. Make us like Elijah. And use us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, happy Mother's Day. We love you guys. We hope to be worshiping with you again soon. And we'll keep you informed about our uh, plans to reopen as soon as those become clearer to us. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. We'll see you next week.